Hi, my name is Visha Cadell, and I'm bringing you Behind the Face of Success, a podcast that delves into the untold stories of people that have reached great heights in their careers and the decisions, whether good or bad, they took to get there. Representation on our screens really matters. Who we see should mirror the real world, which is colourful and rich in culture. It's fair to say this hasn't always been the case in media and entertainment, an industry that struggles for diversity on screen and off. To improve this, we not only have to think about the casting of diverse characters in ads, TV, music videos and films, but also the people in those roles that are making those decisions. And I'm thrilled to have a superstar casting director, Selma Nichols, join me today, who's not only a friend, but someone I admire greatly. But let me tell you a little bit more about her. Selma Nichols is a casting director who has founded Looks Like Me, a casting agency that raises the profile of underrepresented people in mainstream content. She was motivated by her daughter, Riley Ann, who questioned her own identity at only three years old due to the limited visibility of children that look like her within advertising content during 2015. Selma decided to create the change she wanted children and the world to see, setting up Looks Like Me with a commitment to provide diverse and inclusive casting and content creation. Selma is an award-winning casting director and has worked with many big brands. But she's also worked on the Grammy award-winning music video Brown Skin Girl by Beyonce, as well as Alicia Keys' promo ad for Queen Charlotte Netflix series. Hi, Selma. It is amazing to have you and see you today as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I love it. So I am also, if you can't see what Selma looks like right now, she looks absolutely phenomenal with her beautiful earrings and amazing lipstick. I'm <laughs> your vibe right now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Ruby Roo is the way to go. So I want to start by finding out a little bit more about your job and your field of work and also a little bit more about looks like me. So do you walk me through that? Yeah, so I started Looks Like Me in 2015. That's when I founded it. And we launched in 2016 and it started off as an agency to raise the profile of underrepresented people and communities in mainstream content. That was a beautiful journey. And then 2019 is when I realised that casting was the space that I really loved. And then I changed the company into casting only. So now we cast for campaigns, commercials, um, short films and hoping to do more TV and series in the future. You know, sometimes people don't actually know what a casting director is. It's almost, uh, you know, unless you are in the industry, you might not know. So what exactly does a casting director do? So a casting director works really closely with the director and the production company. And we find the people for the ad. So we bring the director's vision to life through finding bespoke characters, actors, real people, depending on what the brief is. And um, yeah, make sure that we have that special eye to find out talent that can be believable in whatever it is that they are performing. Yeah, such a big job because finding people, finding characters, finding the right type of person is just such a tough job to do, but also probably sounds really rewarding because you're meeting so many people too. But it's such an interesting role to get into. So I'd love to know 
What did you want to be before you became this incredible casting director that you are right now? Thank you. Interesting. I wanted to be a dancer. So <laughs> I spent my whole, I may not look like it now, but I spent my whole life dancing, loving dance, reading, learning, educating myself in the world of dance. I trained as a contemporary dancer. I went to London Contemporary Dance School and I did a semester of a sabbatical at California Institute of the Arts where I studied, majored in dance and my minor subject was psychology, film for dance and racial identity. And so that was my world. That's what I wanted to be. I aspired to be in Alvin Ailey and all the amazing companies in America. And that was my role model throughout childhood, like yeah, dance world. That's incredible. So when did you stop thinking about dancing and wanted to move into something else? Well, it's interesting because I stopped dancing probably. So when I graduated, I danced in the company for about a year. And then after that, I had the opportunity to either buy a property or continue to dance. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I really don't want to be a struggling artist. Let me buy the property. Let me get a full-time job. I had other things going on in life that I thought I needed to maybe have some security for different reasons. And loads of people said, Selma, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't get a full-time job in the arts because you'll never dance again. I was like, no, not me. I'll continue to dance. I wanted to embark on a healing journey as well. And so I decided that this was the right thing to do. So I decided to go into arts management and producing. And then, yeah, I drifted away from the dance world more and more. Started eating cakes and drinking coffee, you know, just enjoying life in a different way, which then led to me, yeah, stepping further and further away, but from an arts management perspective rather than a performing perspective. Got it. Did you ever regret that decision or did you feel like now looking back? No, I don't regret it because I'm still very much involved in the dance industry. I never actually left. I just stopped performing. So, yes, sometimes I do the additional dance class here and there. I love moving. I love dancing. And I'm fortunate to still work within that community. So and also the castings that I do now in my new profession, a lot of the, for the adverts, they require dancers. So I'm like, okay, this is amazing. So the two worlds are very still interconnected. I don't know that's what. And because you're trained in it, you can have a certain type of eye to what you're looking for. Exactly. You have a certain type of eye, but also, so dancers, how they train is vigorous, you know? So it's intense and what have you. So it's just transferable skills. So using those skills from the training that I had, I now use that approach in the work that I do now. Yeah. And so you can reinvent yourself. You can embark on a new journey. I didn't think it would, it wasn't, it hasn't been easy. It's been really challenging at times, but with great purpose, passion and persistence, it can happen. It can happen. And by the way, I really love the fact that you have actually gone through that journey and are able to share that because I was seeing a school yesterday, Cobham Academy, and I was telling you I've been visiting some schools and speaking to some students about this podcast. And that's actually a question that somebody came up with and asked me, but she was she wants to be an actress and she said, it's not an industry that will pay me and I need to be paid and I don't know what to do. And maybe I should just go for the salary. And, and it was such a confusing time for people that want to work out what they want to do in their careers or follow their dreams and passions. But you can still follow your dreams and passion. You just got to find another route because you're in the same industry. Yeah, exactly. And it's knowing that 
when you're in the arts, so I do talk sometimes back in performing arts and for university students, etc. And it's known that there's so much breadth and choice in jobs that you can do. So you can start off as a performer, maybe be an actor or dancer or singer. You might want to be a producer. You might want to be a director. You might want to be stage manager. You might want to be lighting designer. Do you know what I mean? There's so many other areas that you can develop and expand into once your performing career is over. Or you can just continue to develop and be consistent in training, doing classes, different sessions to upskill yourself and continue to go down that journey as well. So much smart advice. So you've obviously gone through really interesting passion areas, you know, dancing and being in the industry. But what was your life growing up? Did you have quite creative parents? Did you have people supporting you, friends in that sort of area? How was it? Yeah, I grew up in a really loving household, me and my mum she brought me up and she was able to really allow me to try different classes and sessions so as a child she would take me to the theater she would take me to ballet class to jazz class African dance class I was in the African dance troupe when I was around nine to 12 years old so she made sure that she could do the most within her means outside of that I I was around a lot of women who were doing great things in their fields as well. Um, So I had an auntie who was a carpenter and she just make everything. She builds stuff all the time. And so it was lovely to see people around me doing great things. But also a lot of my aspirations came and role models came from, yeah, I, I would say in that dance industry, seeing the different performers, knowing that it was possible, seeing people that were doing things um, not necessarily in this country, but because we did travel, that was another thing. My mum was able to take me abroad to America, to the Caribbean, so to Africa. So I was able to see other things that were possible. So my imagination and creative mind was huge. I see myself as a universal dreamer. And I've always been that way, believing that I can be the best. Yes, I didn't make it to the stage that I wanted to as a, in my dance career, but I've loved the journey. and. Yeah, you know, it's a squiggly, it's a squiggly um, journey. It's not straightforward all the time. It's never straightforward, is it? <laughs> it's never, I just, you, you don't know what you're going to start out in. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you're sort of walking into something completely different. But I love the fact that you actually talked about the different universal dreamer. Oh, I love that line. I just wanted to repeat <laughs> it again. It's just so, it just also sums you up so much as well with how you think and feel and, and also how you communicate and like dreaming and thinking ahead. It's interesting you talk about what you were introduced to. I think it's so important that parents do open children's aperture as well. My friends are now taking their children to ballet classes. Mm. We never grew up with that. That's just incredible. It's interesting. My first musical that I ever saw was Jungle Book. I must have been about five, six, seven. And it was fantastic. And I remember watching Jungle Book at the theatre thinking, how how do they get there? How do they get to be on the stage doing what they do? So, yes, I and I'm my only child. So when you're an only child, I think the main thing that you have is your imagination. But there's times you haven't got someone sometimes to play with in the house. So you dream, you daydream, you think about what the world could be like, what you could be doing in the world. I believe anything is possible. And so with the dance training, for instance, if you're doing a releve where your leg is going up in the air and you can go to here, you right? And then each day you're training to go higher and higher. And then your leg goes up. It's like physically you can make anything possible with your body 
and the mentally you can make anything possible with your mind. So it's like, I don't need to always see it to believe it. I need to be able to dream it, be able to think it in my mind in order to then see what does that look like? Obviously, I know I can't fly, but I do know that if I want to work one day on a big featured Disney film, that's a possibility, right? And so it's just about how you get from A to Z and the pathway in between. So that's where my mindset is, is like anything is possible. I think, oh, I love that. Anything is possible. And I actually say things out loud now when I want something. It is possible. I can do that. I can do that. It's all within our reach. To your point, bit by bit, right? It's not going to happen today, but you're going towards that because you've said it out loud and you're, you you know, well, you're moving your leg up, (laughs) essentially. You know, you're responsible for casting for ads. You've casted for Beyonce's video in the past, Brown Skin Girl, which I loved, by the way, and some other projects that we'll also talk about. So you've done some pretty amazing big stuff. Like, that's not something you fall into in a second. That takes a lot of work. It takes, you know, to your point about mindset. So I'd love to know about the steps that you took in becoming a casting director. Okay, so for me, I do feel like I did stumble into this because it wasn't something I ever knew. Under the age of 35, I didn't know that this career was a thing. I didn't, I just didn't know. And at 35, I remember my daughter started questioning herself. Oh, I don't want to have curly hair. Oh, I want to have straight hair. Oh, I don't want to be brown. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, like, number one, Am I doing something wrong in my parenting? Why isn't she confident and loving just who she is? What could I do more, you know? And I asked friends that I had at the time, are they going through the same thing? And they weren't. And I was like, okay. So it felt embarrassing. It felt like I was failing as a mum. All of these things were coming inside of me. So I thought, okay, I need to do something about this. So at the time, I was a freelance producer at London International Festival of Theatre, and I knew how to put things together. I was working with great teams, and I was like, okay, if I can make such great work happen in this field, at this organisation, imagine what I could do to shift my daughter's mindset. So I knew that her growth mindset needed working on. And through the work I did back in my education, with the racial identity, psychology, learning about the Maslow Maslow hierarchy of needs, all of this stuff, I understood that there's a greater depth level of work that needs to be done in my own home. So she watched the video Annie with the little black girl with Jamie Foxx and Karenza Wallace, and she was like, oh my God, she's beautiful, she looks like me. So I, I was like, okay, she's identifying and connecting with people that look like her in content. I started looking around and I realised there wasn't much content at that time featuring a little black girl, the darkest in black girl as well, in mainstream content. So I decided to be the change that I could not see. And I was able to get a startup loan for like £7,000 from Virgin Startup. They were amazing and they've stayed with me along my journey for the last eight years. I was also able to then source and bring a team together amazing people but before that team came together loads of people told me no I went to maybe I don't know 50 photographers and they loads of people just saying oh no sorry it's not for me or just ignore me 
Then I got this team together, created some beautiful content imagery with my daughter and friends and family's children. It's one of the proudest moments of my life, being able to put this together. And then that is where everything opened up. I did a lookbook and I shared that with different people that I knew within the creative industries and people loved it. And that was the birth of Looks Like Me. So it wasn't just me coming up with an idea. It was me having a collective group of people in my life at the time, whether it be colleagues or friends or family, that all believed in the vision and played a different part at different times. Because I would talk about it all day, every day. That's all I did. I was obsessed with making this work. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew it was going to be something meaningful, something the world was waiting for, and something that the industry needed. So that's how it started. I really love that. Also, you sound so much like me, because when I love an idea, I get obsessed (laughs) with it. And I'm like, the world needs to know about my fantastic idea. But I'm going to give you a little bit more credit, actually, Selma, because in that answer, you've actually just shared so many different things. And although you may have stumbled on the idea of doing it, that from, you know, thankfully, because your daughter raised this level of awareness that Mm -hmm. she's experiencing something and she looked to you for answers and you were able to try and go and solve for that. But what's really quite nice about this story that you're telling is that you have gone through quite a significant journey to get to this. You know, people say no to a lot of things and staying focused and keeping that, like, I've got a great idea and I'm going to make it happen because the world needs it. And building that team, my God, that's a lot. Because she was their motivation. So every step up, every small achievement was huge in her seeing me do this while she's, you know, like you can do great things, right? And then you can look back and be, oh, you know, my uncle did that, my auntie did that. But when you're living in it, in the home, she's watching me receive loads and loads and how that's impacted me. She's watching me receive the yeses. She's able to see the results. So she sees me working hard on something. Well, she sees, when I get a yes, she will see me work hard on something. And then she'll say, mom, the Asda ads on TV. Or mom, there's Trina on the dark. You know what I mean? She can identify with the process. And I've seen while I've been working on that, her growth mindset, her confidence, her finding her voice and who she is has grown with the business. So as the business has grown, she's grown to where now she no longer needs this as a reference. She loves it. She's proud of it. She loves everything I do. I need to also go back a bit because how I became a casting director is when I was creating all this content and doing this work, I remember I had a conversation with a remarkable woman in the industry. And I said to her, where do you see my talents lie? Like, what am I good at? Because I'm not from media and advertising world. That's not my thing. But I'm doing something that is very much welcomed in that space. And Karen Blackett said to me, casting. I was like, what? She was like, casting, that's what you're great at. So sometimes it takes somebody else to see what you're great at that you're doing. So even though I'm doing the work and stirring the pot, Mm. I needed someone to say, that dish that you're making right now is casting. And the next day I walked away from that meeting, realizing that's what it is. That's what I am. That's what I'm going to continue to do. And so I learned on the job, the art of casting. It's a different level of education when you're doing it on the job, when you're not getting paid for it and you're doing your R&D and, you know, your research and development. And I was just consistent, persistent and patient. 
And I knew that every time I decided that this isn't working, I'm not getting work, I'm not being paid, I can't continue. As soon as I decided to stop, the next day or that same day, a job would come through. So it made me realize that actually I'm needed in this journey. Don't give up. So there has been many moments of me going, this is too hard. I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's too challenging. And then something remarkable just turns up, a Lego casting or a Dove casting or Beyonce. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it just continues, Netflix. So it just continues like that. And so um, I believe any founder, any casting director, what you're doing, it's never going to be easy, you know, but you have to love it. And I love casting. I love my peers. I love the industry of casting. It is just, I'm very privileged to be in this position to do the work that I love every day. But I also think to your point around, yeah, you know, starting your own business is a tough one, mm. but you are putting a patch on a need right now. That's the thing. So it is really tough to cast the right people. We have to reflect the real world. And I've been in a situation where we were doing a TV ad and everyone suggested white men, actually. And then I looked at the directors. There were two um, really cool white directors and everyone else was in the room was white. And I was the one that went, including actually the CEO in the room as well, because she was quite passionate about this. And I was just like, I'd love to see an Indian family in here. I'd love to see a black family in here. And we had to push it back. But that's because the right people weren't in the room. So you are offering that. And although I know that it started from a really beautiful place with your daughter actually you're doing it for the rest of us because some of us are you know we want to see more diverse characters but it's an ecosystem you can't just talk about it you have to do something about it so thank you for doing something about it thank you and I guess the difference is as being because I see myself sometimes I see myself most days as an outsider right and what I mean by that is I haven't done 10 or 20 years working in an ad agency or creative agency or for a brand. So I'm definitely, I place myself as an outsider, but the benefits of being an outsider is you're like a bull in a China shop. Like I don't know the rules or, you know, how organizations might do things in a particular corporate way or what have you. So I'm just doing it my way and people either love it or they don't. And so far they've loved it because it's coming from a place of service Everything I do is to serve the people, is for the people, whether it be actors or raw people or just different communities that are not represented. It could be black people. It could be visually impaired people. It could be uh, people from the LGBTQI community. It could be anyone. So it's about the story and it's about believing, understanding the vision of the story from the director and executing that with love and finding those people you have to be a people person to do what I do you have to love people you have to be able to get the best out of people so when they walk into the audition room they can give their best selves and they can be as believable as possible for the role that they're going for and those people that come come through it's it's beautiful because they may not get that job they may come back for other jobs, may not get that. But then I remember them. And then they might be like, actually, we need so-and-so for this new job that's coming up. And so you're never forgotten, you know, even if actors and real people come into the space, depending if you come with an open heart of giving your best, we will remember you. Hmm. I love that. You mentioned Karen. And you also talked quite a lot about the fact that she's 
found a strength in you and she sort of almost like shone a light on it and said this is what it is but you've also had her as a sponsor and an ally along the way and I'd love to know your perspective of why support and allyship is so important during this time. Okay so before I go before I talk about Karen I want to talk about how I have identified a few women like Karen along my journey. So when I was dancing at London Contemporary Dance School Veronica Lewis was our principal and there were stages in life where you know events might have happened that were unpredicted and she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I might have challenged with my confidence levels but this teacher actually going before Veronica there was uh, Miss Williams at my primary at my secondary school. She saw something great in me and she was the one that identified Selma you need to try out for this dance audition in Marie Fidelis convent. I went there did this audition, and that's how my dance really started to kind of progress into contemporary. Then Miss Veronica Lewis in at university, she was like, Selma, you're amazing. And I'm like, why are you giving me so much praise when I believe in you? I can see that whatever you're going to become in life, you're going to be great. When people talk that kind of life into you, you know that you can't give up because they believe in you and they see something bigger, bigger than you can see for yourself. So... I have to keep on working because I hear Veronica in my head going, you're meant to be, you're going to be doing something great. I don't know what it is, but she spoke that onto my life. When I met Karen, what was beautiful is that, yeah, number one, she identified where my skill sets were, which was casting, which was a gift. And two, she spoke life into me again in a way that I didn't see in myself. So when I'm in the boardroom, I speak up when it matters. When I'm in a negotiation situation, yesterday's price is not today's price. When people ask me, so these are all the things I've learned from her, from observing, from watching, from hearing her speak. And it's like understanding yourself and being able to package yourself in that way then allows me to not give up because then I've got in my head, Karen, Veronica, Miss Williams, I've got these amazing women who have spoke life into me and seen things in me that I haven't seen in myself. That allows me to never give up. So I give up on me. I'm giving up on all those people that saw greatness within me. I really love that because in my head, whilst you saying that, I just imagined all these amazing women cheerleading you and like cheerleading you to the finish line, which is, you know, like the world needs more champions. Yes. people that put you down and yeah. it feels like you've got that around you but I honestly I would highly encourage anyone that's listening to this to just champion your friends champion someone that you have seen something brilliant in like you know the people that have seen brilliance in you and yeah. and encourage you because you're completely right when somebody believes in you but won this um, award called the future leaders award and I thought oh somebody believes in me there you go what could I do next? And there is something so powerful about that. And it's just, yeah. Exactly. And even myself, I won the Rackle Future Leaders in 2019, And so it's like, once again, somebody believes in me, right? So then when I went into, I did my course, I used my award to do a negotiation course at Cambridge University. And so when I went into that, I went in there with a, with a great confidence of somebody believing in me. And through the first session, 
I won all the negotiations, right? So there's, a, there's loads of us on this course. And the lecturer was like, Selma, how are you doing this? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, can I interview you for our MBA students and our business students? And I was like, yeah, fine. He's like, because I really want to understand your mindset into negotiation and where you've learned and how you deliver in this way. Great. But moving backwards, in regards to what you just said about champion our friends and champion our, our, our peers, I can admit what has been a challenge for me while I've been building and doing something from scratch and learning how to do it on the job. I haven't been the best cheerleader or the best um, supporter because I've been tunnel visioned in doing this. It's taking my everything. So some friends will say, oh my God, yeah, you do support or you do what have you. But sometimes it is hard when you are doing something on your, on your own, trying to figure it out to be there for anyone. So I have sometimes not been there for people's birthdays, weddings, funerals you know, family members. These are things that I've sacrificed along the journey to figure out what I'm doing. So I've gone from um, Cambridge University, sorry, to, to this, but it kind of interlinks. So in order for me to be able to sit in that room with the lecturer from Cambridge and do the interview, I had to explain that, number one, I had to sacrifice a lot in order to be able to be in this position, to be able to understand how to negotiate, because every day of my life is a negotiation. It's not, I don't switch off on the weekend or in the evening. It's it's always negotiating. It's always trying to figure out, okay, how can I get from A to B? How can I help Peter to help Paul? It's, it's relentless. So I've had to find now, carve out time to do nothing, to be in a happy place, which is just peaceful and tranquil. And I think good friends and good relationships will actually see that because starting your own business and learning something new is not an easy task. So being a little bit tunnel vision, it's okay. For example, if you end up going into, let's say, a corporate job, some of those processes are in place. There are structures in place. There are support in place. You have to figure that all out by yourself. And that takes a lot of energy, mental health energy, physical energy, your educational capacity, stretching yourself a little bit more, going off and talking to new people, which is all the things that you have been doing. You have to find balance in life. You can't be there for everyone all the time. Especially women, women who are looking to start businesses, women who may be mothers, single parents. It's a challenge beyond belief to carry those two worlds, carry the world of being a mother, carry the world of being a founder and also not forgetting yourself in the process that was a challenge for me I forgot myself in the process of those two carrying those two big worlds you know let's talk about courage because that's one of the things I feel like has come out through uh, come through quite strong in this conversation is courage to set up your own business you came up with this great idea and then you know you took those next few steps but how did you have the courage to just do it and continue with it and have the courage to, you know, do the next thing and courage to, I don't know, you know, get the next project. And you know, the Beyonce project was a massive one. Let's say, I know that was a few years back, but how did you kind of pursue and be brave and just go and say, I'm going to keep doing this. And I have a little girl sitting there watching my every move. 
yeah. She's watching my every move. She's watching if I give up. It's that fear of my child. Oh gosh. It's my fear of my child looking at me as a failure. I wanted to inspire her. I wanted to be her first role model to prove to her that anything is possible. So that makes her feel like she can do anything. If I can do anything, if I can do this thing that I've never done before and I have no idea how I'm going to tackle it, I have a plan, but who knows if that plan is going to work. If I can do this thing, she can do anything. So that's it. When you've got someone looking saying, how's it going? Did you get that job? Oh, you didn't get it. Did you get it? Okay, I go back. So if she wasn't there looking at me, watching me, I could have given up a long time ago. But being a mother has brought a whole nother... I'm responsible for this young person. I'm responsible for their growth mindset. I'm responsible for nurturing and supporting their confidence. And I'm that responsible person. for. So I can only lead by example. And so that's what I've tried my best to do, lead by example. And that's where the coverage comes from. I use the saying to her and to others that walking on faith water, believing that I can get to the other side of the ocean and I have to walk on the water. But because I'm doing everything that is serving people, serving an industry, serving the brand, serving the communities that all communities to see something different, redefining, reimagining how we see people, different groups, different stories, nuanced stories. I'm not going to drown. I can swim. And that's a life school that I got taught as a child as well. So I'm able to, I'm actually technically able to swim, but I know that what can be the worst outcome. So I feel like I have no fear. I have no fear of not achieving it. I have my only setback is in myself is if I haven't got enough energy to get to the end. But if I feel myself in the right way, I'm able to achieve it. So it's like, I can't stop because this little girl's watching me. And I know that the sun is shining at the other side of the mountain. So I keep on going. Reaching the end is such an important part of like trying to stay motivated. And the fact that your daughter is a motivation is incredible. I want to ask you a different version of motivation. If you had a casting project come through, like how do you stay motivated? I'm going to complete this. So when I talk about the mountain, right, and the sunset and what have you that happens per each project is a different mountain because once you hit that mountain now you gotta climb the next mountain because it's consistent it's continuous it doesn't stop right so you reach that goal and then you have to continue I think um personally to me because I I only okay this is it I only work with remarkable clients that's a strategic choice to only work with remarkable clients because then I will give my all. And the work I do within casting, and this is for all casting directors, it's not nine to five. I might be working evenings, weekends. I'm not emotionally available to my child sometimes. Like it's part of the process. Like you go all in. And so, but with doing that, I do reach times where I have to then, I reach burnout. And in that burnout time is when I take time to, you know, do the things that serve me in regards to going to that happy place and rejuvenating and reviving and nourishing oneself. And sometimes I have no 
ideas and I have no drive. I have those moments and I have to sit through those moments and it's okay. I have to breathe, drink water, mind my business and just allow myself to flow through that, that stuck phase and it will pass. It always passes. But then when the right client, if, if you're working in the freelance spaces, when the right client approaches you, the energy just erupts inside of you and you're excited again you know so I think it's knowing I got I did a coaching course one time and someone said to me Selma like it's really important to understand who are your remarkable clients so I turn down lots of work as well I don't say yes to everything I don't say yes to every speaking opportunity I don't say yes you know so it's knowing how to say no and owning that when I say no sometimes people get offended sometimes people understand that and respect that and that's okay. And so I think in regards to no one is happy and jolly all the time. Sometimes we, our brains, they're not thinking creatively and then they have to go somewhere where they can be nourished. My place is by the sea, sunrise, sunset. I'm that type of human. I need that energy and that rejuvenates me. So you know, if you haven't got that, then find your special place. It could be in your room. It could be a certain candle that you like to scent, that you like to smell. It could be allowing yourself to go for a swim. You know, whatever, it, finding out what the thing is that makes you come to a place of peace, balance and preparation for the next opportunity that presents itself. Do you know, when you were speaking about that in my head, I was thinking peace like, you know, I, when you light a candle and you just sit in your own room or whatever it might be, you do feel a sense of peace. And I just, it was, I love the way you just actually just said that too. But one thing that you mentioned was picking remarkable clients because in a similar vein is I, and many other people do this, they would deliberately pick companies that they would really believe in their values because then you are all in, you're bought into the story. You want to, you know, almost like advocate that story. And I think that's such an important thing to do is pick the places that you want to be working in because it becomes a part of your life you know you get invested in it yeah it does and I think the directors that work with me they pick me for those same reasons as well so I've been able to do remarkable projects because I'm working with remarkable extraordinary exceptional directors Jenna Kuru, Atto Yankee, the list goes on, Eloise King, like, you know, Kevin Morosky, like there's amazing directors that I believe in their work, I see their vision and they see something in me and it's the realness. It's like these people are real people. So when they're speaking to you, and I guess it comes back to what I was saying, the fact that I'm not from the industry, I bring a different type of flavor, a little all purpose, you know, a little seasoning. And I am who I am, you know, and I can't apologize for that. And I own it. And this is me. And if you work with me, we'll have fun. We'll create a vibe. It will be fantastic. And that energy feeds into the work, feeds into the people coming into the room. And so that is how I've landed great jobs is working with really great people and I love you for it by the way and it's one of the reasons why I was thinking god I'm so glad she said yes to this podcast given the fact that you say no to things I was like she chose me but you know to your point about people by people it is about you know who you work with too so 
there's a lot to be said about the people in different companies and who run their own businesses or you bring on projects as well. It's great that people can do great jobs and are perform very well. Yes. But there's a little bit more about their characters, you know, their mindsets and the chemistry with the work, the chemistry with you. It's the whole package, really. Yeah, people like to hear, you know, when I hear sayings like bring your whole self to work, right? And be your true, authentic self. And, you know, these great sayings, which is it's true. We should do all these things. But fortunately for myself, I have no other way to be. Because, like, I remember one time I was doing a Zoom speaking engagement. And after the Zoom speaking engagement, my daughter said to me, why do you talk like that? And I was like, what do you mean? She said, all of a sudden you speak so differently. I said, no, I'm not. I'm talking like me. She went, no, you're not. You're not being yourself. And so when you're faced with that kind of reality, I realized that I was trying to assimilate or be how people thought I, or who I thought people would want me to be. And I was like, Mm-mm. from now, from this day forward, this is Selma. I am dyslexic. I don't always pronounce my words correctly. I have PTSD. So I repeat things to make sure I, I need to know exactly what is happening, how get into the heads of the directors that I'm working with. And then I'm able to produce exceptional exceptional talent to the forefront because of my uniqueness. And I own it. I never did. I was, I used to be in denial for a very long time about, I used to be, I used to be ashamed of the fact that I had PTSD. I only told close friends and family and some people get it. Some people didn't. And that's okay. And only recently I realized that people in my circle always knew that I was dyslexic, but I just used to laugh it off. Like, oh, I can't remember certain things or what have you. But actually, no, this is who I am. And I'm not ashamed. And <sighs> I can excel. And I I really appreciate you saying that, mm. by the way, because I think the more people can just feel quite comfortable in a very, in an industry where people don't talk about this stuff, you know, people don't talk about neurodiversity, people don't talk about the fact that we're all from different places of the country or in different countries and come into this country. Just to give you a very quick example, like I don't sound like this when I was growing up. I grew up in Forest Gate, for goodness sake. But I was working in such a privileged sector and nobody looked like me and sounded like me. And I changed. Your daughter would tell me off, by the way. (laughs) Ryan will be just like, you should cut it out. But (laughs) I had to change how I spoke. And now I can't help it. This is how I sound. But <laughs> oh, by the way, you sound amazing. You sound lovely. But, oh, you. But it, it it does it does impact you, right? Like if I was around you, I would have been like, oh, I've got I've got a fellow friend. Yeah, it's, it's, we call it intersectionality. You know, so it's like we are just one thing. We are some people are a multitude of things, and that's okay. And that's your superpower. But I love what I do. I am very, very fortunate and privileged to be in this casting space because it's a unique gift to be able to source people and, you know, have a voice and being able to, and your opinion matters and people care about that. And just changing the lives. Sometimes I've worked with adults who have you know, coming to their first commercial and now they've done like maybe 10 and they're traveling the world. And they started off by just coming into our studio space. So it shows you that, you know, 
it's opening doors for different people to start their journeys as well. And yeah, the act of service is the heartbeat of what we do. Have you had any failures or something you did that you look back on and thought, God, I'm, I learned from that? In regards to the work that I do? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know how to call it a failure, but where I say about not knowing the etiquette, learning the etiquette of the environments that I'm in over time, right? So, and where I could be a bull in a china shop, but some people love it, some people hate it. I'm doing a job and it might be going a certain way and the, a producer might say, oh, I think this is what it's going to be, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, mm, not too sure about that. Like, I think we should consider this. So I'm now challenging what the producer wants to do, right? Some people will be like, oh, thanks, Elma. I didn't think about it like that. That's a really great perspective. And some people might take that really, you know, like if you were you to tell me. And so I put myself at risk for speaking up, for challenging things that I think deserve to be challenged or to be looked at in a different way. And that might mean that that particular producer or company may not work with me again. And that is negative because then, you know, I lose out on doing great work because it's not about the person. It's about what we're doing, the bigger picture, right? So because I may have spoken up and someone didn't like it, then I risk continuing to work with that company again. Do I change that? No, mm-mm, mm-mm. I don't change it. I continue because I know what I'm saying is for the bigger picture is to make sure that this casting that I put my name to, my heart to, is going to get a backlash from the community that we're trying to connect to. So it's about understanding and appreciating different ways of me communicating with all these different personalities. Because in the process, there are a wide range of personalities that I need to manage as well as so knowing when to be a bit more softer, be a bit more direct, be a bit more open, be a bit more silent. Like understanding that and manoeuvring in that way is really important. And so that has been, if you want to call it a failure. Yeah, I've spoken up and I haven't got work again on the back of it. So, And I love the way you bounce back from that and the learning because that's a really good tip for anyone coming into the workplace because adaptability is important and you're not ever going to meet someone that will agree to your ideas or agree to who you are and how you are so actually that takes me to the next question which is if there are a few top tips um, you've already given one but you could give me three more if you fancy but three hot tips for anybody that wants to come into you know this field of work the the work that you're doing right now being in casting what would those be? I would say understand your purpose. It's really important to own and understand your purpose. Patience. Nothing's going to happen overnight. Things will happen over time. You might do two great things a year and a few mediocre things during that time. You might do nothing. And having the patience to ride those waves, ride, ride those times when it's really quiet and the phone and the emails are not popping off. And perseverance, never giving up. The world needs you. 
the world needs someone like you to do what you do in your way that contributes to the bigger picture. And when I say the bigger picture, I mean the bigger global picture. I remember when I started off and I was used to say, raising the profile of underrepresented people. And my slogan was redefining beauty. And to this day, I work on campaigns. I just done one with Dove, where they're reimagining and redefining the beauty of Afro hair and celebrating that. And it's, you know, everything happens in its right timing. So it doesn't happen in your time. It doesn't happen in my time. And that's why you need to understand your purpose. Patient be persistent and then it's been eight years for me it's been time it's taken time and know what success means to you so success people might look at me and think oh she's successful she's great success for me is having my mental health intact making sure that I'm raising this little being who is happy and confident and leading with her soul and number three that I'm only doing work with purpose that I love and I feel privileged to be in that position. So that is what success is to me. So understanding what that is, that's the fourth thing, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love all of those things. And, you know, one of the things you actually did say was understand the global picture, which is, you know, to your point about perseverance is, you know, you might think that one little thing that you're doing in a little town over here is not going to do something, but actually your effort, your idea your interaction could change a global picture, which is actually a really important and powerful thing to say. Yeah, you know, you hear the language. When I hear people say, oh, underrepresented people, oh, you know, raising the profile of this particular group and this is the language that people are using. I'm like, oh my God, I was using this language eight years ago. But it, it takes time for the seeds to blossom, to grow and then blossom. And that's okay. And That's what makes me really happy when I see all the people within the industry doing amazing work, creatives, directors, just normal people, just everybody, everything everyone does. When I see that on our screens or on our billboards or wherever it may be, it lightens up my heart. Like recently, it's not my work, but Vogue has just done a whole big beautiful campaign on people with disabilities. And it's gorgeous. Like the dancer who is in it, he's from Rombe, he is, he's my favourite dancer in life, that's why I'm mentioning it, and it's a fantastic campaign, and it shows how amazing these human beings are, how we are all amazing. This seems like a really silly question I'm going to ask you, because you talked about underrepresented communities, and I know that you care about all communities, that's the purpose of your work, but actually, if there was one or actually maybe maybe one of you, communities that you would wish was more represented in casting, in the casting field, what communities would those be? I think the community that I would love to see more of would have to be the disabled community. And I think for different reasons, one, I have a personal um connection to it my mum's partially blind and she's blind in one eye and she works with people with who are visually impaired and blind and like I just mentioned the Vogue campaign which I didn't have nothing to do with but they highlight how beautiful amazing um creative the these humans are and so as I mentioned the dancer who is my favorite dancer in life 
he has an amputated leg and he moves for me better than able-bodied people. So it's like, actually, it's not about putting people in categories anymore. It's like looking at all these humans and say, you know what, we're just all humans. We're human beings. And some of us have extra skills in, in certain places. Some have superpowers in other places. And if I could pick one group, I would say taking the label off groups and seeing us all as humans. Yeah. 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 I love the way you just sort of ended it with that. If you had to surmise your success, three words, putting on the spot, high pressure moment, what would it be? Sacrifice. Motherhood. Universal dreamer. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm glad you got Universal Dreamer in there too, because I think that just like sums up everything too. Wow. Beautifully said. I'm just want to thank you so much, Selma, for your time. And I know you do say no to a lot of stuff. And I'm glad you said yes to this because I think more people need to hear from you, first of all. Uh, I know you're busy. So actually, I'm glad we've done this podcast so that the world can hear more from you. But also, it was just so, so lovely to like speak to you and hear your story. And I've resonated so much with so much of it. I feel like I've been there and I wish I had you by my side and heard your voice in my ear just saying like persevere or don't listen to someone changing accent or whatever it is. So thank you for all that you do. And I'm so excited about your business and always there to support you. But thank you for doing this podcast and thanks for speaking to me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, I've shared stuff with you today that I haven't shared before. And the one thing I want to say is that I'm just a real person. It's a real human being like everybody else. And all of us can do whatever it is we want to do. And don't let anyone stop you standing in your way. Um, Hello, thank you for listening to Behind the Face of Success. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have. If possible, please can I ask you to rate, review and subscribe to these podcasts as it actually helps more people find them and look out for the next episode next week.